Greenhouse gases released by the combustion of fossil fuels and the resulting rise in temperature and sea levels and the intensification of extreme weather are having profound consequences for human health and health systems. Yet there are steps that health systems and individual clinicians can take to limit these harms. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Renee Salas, an affiliated faculty member at the Harvard Global Health Institute and an emergency medicine physician at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Salas is co-author of an interactive perspective about climate change and health. Dr. Salas, could you start by telling us a bit about the effects of climate change on human health? What health implications are well recognized and what new implications are just starting to become apparent? So climate change is a true meta problem, is an issue that underlines numerous other problems and it's enormously complex and multifaceted. So it means it can be hard to know how or where to even begin to engage on this issue. And there's a growing recognition that climate change is truly a health emergency, but the critical next step is to understand and educate clinicians on how climate change is relevant to their patients and thus to their clinical practices and the healthcare systems that they work in. And so the goal of this interactive perspective is to take these broad, sweeping, and complex health impacts and show that it's already impacting our clinical practice and our healthcare systems today. And so that's the way this interactive perspective is set up. They can interact with this issue through the area that they know best, and that's their medical specialty. And the goal of this is to also be a resource that will be updated and can serve as a repository for people, and they can reference this in the future. So I think one of the biggest health impacts that we recognize is heat-related disease. And globally, July was the hottest month on record ever, and I will kind of pause to let that settle. And during a recent Boston heat wave, I treated an elderly gentleman who came into the Massachusetts General ED with heat stroke. And he came in during the early morning on an overnight shift, and that means that he likely sat in the heat for most of the day. And he was altered and had a core temperature of over 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And the ambulance crew said that their apartment was the hottest they had ever been in, and it was on the top floor with only one window, and they had no air conditioning and no fan. And so we're already experiencing more frequent and longer heat waves, and I think this case highlights that climate change is not an equal opportunity impactor, and the health consequences that are borne by vulnerable populations and most often children, the elderly, those of lower socioeconomic class, and communities of color, and thus it's also a health equity and social justice issue. But no one's truly immune, and so while we know that, for example, heat is a big one, another one is pollen. So increasing CO2 in the environment is leading to more pollen in the air, and this is especially important for asthmatics and those with other chronic lung diseases. We know that vector-borne diseases, that the geography and range of these are spreading, and thus more individuals are going to become exposed to this. We know that extreme weather is intensifying, and because of the result of this, it's causing a lot of disruptions to healthcare systems, which we really dive into in this interactive perspective. And there's kind of these untold kind of mental health impacts. For example, I saw recently a 20-year-old woman who presented with severe depression, and she really said a lot of this stemmed from her concerns about climate change and something that's actually been termed climate grief. But I often describe that our current understanding of the health consequences of climate change is an iceberg, and I recognize the irony of this analogy because we're only really seeing what's above the surface, and there's an enormous burden that we have yet to understand. As an example, there's Evidence that Vibrio, for example, and especially for us based in Boston and off the coast of the Northeast, that the suitability for Vibrio is increasing, and thus there's concern that 
more and more individuals are going to be exposed to Vibrio as they either eat foods which have Vibrio and are contaminated or by direct contact, such as swimming in the water. And so I think research really is the frontier for us to see and project where we think these future health implications are so that way we can learn how to better protect health. So you mentioned the effect on health systems and infrastructure. What actually has the effect of climate change been in those areas? I think healthcare systems are already suffering the consequences of climate change, and it's only anticipated to accelerate. And I believe this is one of the least recognized and unfortunately least studied consequences. And it really has enormous ramifications. So some of the different categories, I kind of put them in, at least within my mind, it's kind of how we present it here, is one is around disruptions of care. So you can have infrastructure damage from climate-sensitive extreme weather. Supply chains can be disrupted. For example, the intravenous saline fluid shortage that existed for much of this country and other countries following Hurricane Maria. For example, it impacted us here, even in Boston. Individuals would come in with gastroenteritis and we would need to rehydrate them. And most individuals came in expecting that they would have an IV placed and would have IV fluids. But we actually had quite limited supplies and actually had a set of criteria that individuals had to meet to get IV fluids. And so instead, we had a fridge full of Gatorade, and I would hand them a Gatorade. And obviously, patients were quite surprised at this, but it was an opportunity to educate them on how climate change was impacting our healthcare infrastructure and how we're really all connected currently with globalization and especially the way our supply chains work. Another example is power outages, secondary to increased air conditioning during heat waves, and these power outages impact healthcare facilities. And so needing to have generator capacity and really ensuring that they have robust climate resiliency is critically important. Another one is increasing costs. I mean, especially, for example, as a result of intensification of extreme weather, and needing to repair infrastructure or cancel elective cases. There's changes in utilization patterns, which is an emerging understanding that we have as a community. It needs to be further studied. And it's also undermining our public health infrastructure. And this is critical for understanding the emergence of climate-sensitive disease, especially infectious diseases, and really delivering the community-based adaptation that is required to protect health Unfortunately, on a global scale, it threatens to erode our global health achievements. In a related perspective article, McCarthy and Bernstein describe measures that the Trump administration has taken to roll back policies that are intended to mitigate health effects and diseases related to the burning of fossil fuels. So what do you say to people, including physicians, who don't see climate change as a current priority? I say that climate change is a health emergency, plain and simple. It crosses country lines and party lines and Personally, I can't imagine working on anything else. And while climate change disproportionately impacts vulnerable populations now, as climate change worsens, it's going to also impact other populations to greater degrees. And thus, you could say that vulnerable populations are sort of the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. And I'd argue that climate change has some impact, whether large or small, on all of our patients and all of the healthcare systems that we work in, including the diseases that we work on and research. And so thus, it's just adding this climate lens to what we already do. And I think whatever anyone's practice or research area is within is to think about how it's impacted by climate change. And that's really what this interactive perspective is meant to be as a starting place for that. And it really highlights that more work needs to be done, but together as a community, we can achieve this. And I think lastly, I'll end with that the IPCC released a report at the end of last year that stressed that we have 
just a little over a decade to avoid some of the most catastrophic health impacts of climate change. And the reassuring item is that we have the treatment and tools to solve this, renewable energy, and we have the research and public health infrastructure and ingenuity to really implement the bold and urgent solutions that we need. And so I kind of rely back on the epitome of teamwork that I see when a multidisciplinary team in a trauma bay and my ED saves a patient's life, and this is no different. And historically, the medical community has catalyzed broad and sweeping changes in the past, and we can do it again, but we need to do it together. You talked about the disproportionate effect on vulnerable groups. And in another related perspective article, Sorensen and Garcia Trabanino talk about the rising death toll from chronic kidney disease of unknown origin. What does this case suggest about the health effects of climate-sensitive conditions? It highlights that while the skin CKDU, as they've termed it, that while it's multifactorial, that there's, you know, the growing heat stress with climate change, and again, especially in these agricultural communities, is likely contributing to this form of heat stress nephropathy. And so I would actually argue that CKTU is that quintessential climate-sensitive disease and really forecasts the way that we need to view medicine and the diseases that we treat and work on as the climate crisis worsens. And so it highlights that climate change is one piece of this and I think is having this growing implications for this disease process and especially in some regions of the world that have the least robust healthcare infrastructure. And it shows that we need research, we need funding for research, we need to make this a focus as a medical community to really understand what the true drivers are for some of these pandemics, epidemics of diseases that we're seeing and really understand what the climate change contribution is to this. And that is the way that we're going to be able to tackle this problem and understand it in the complete nature that we need to. So you've talked about how to make climate change a priority. So final question, what can individual clinicians do to help limit the harms associated with climate change, both in their care of their patients and on a broader policy level? I'd say first and foremost, we as physicians and especially those within the medical community need to understand and talk about climate change and how it's negatively impacting the health of the patients we serve, the communities we live in, and the healthcare systems that we work within. And evidence shows that the medical community is often the most trusted source for this information, even for those most skeptical about climate change. And these individuals will listen to their primary care doctor more than a climate scientist or someone at the World Health Organization. And I believe one reason climate change has had so little action to date is that we haven't truly made it personal for people. So instead of thinking about polar bears on a shrinking iceberg, it needs to be about the health of your patients, ourselves and our families, our children. And this can take the form of talking to patients, to colleagues, to hospital leadership, or to those within your community. I think educating policymakers on all levels, from the local infrastructure to federal, is vitally important so these individuals can understand these connections and how acting on climate change is actually a health intervention, that it will improve health and save lives. So, and I think other key actions that can occur on an individual level include realizing that the clinical practice implications to your respective specialty and educate your patients in changing your practice to reflect these health harms. On a larger level, you need to work together to develop evidence-based adaptation interventions for the populations we serve. And I think one of the things is that climate change impacts every geographic region differently. And so you really need to understand that local landscape in order to best develop kind of these targeted and evidence-based interventions. 
And in addition, is working with hospital leaders to decrease the health system's climate footprint and build climate resiliency in healthcare systems. So it's been estimated that climate change, the contribution, I should say, from healthcare systems to climate change is about 10% of greenhouse gases. And it's been estimated that if that were viewed as the healthcare system in the U.S. being a country itself, that it would actually rank 13th, which would be actually above, for example, the United Kingdom. And so it's really important for healthcare systems to lead the way in mitigating or decreasing their carbon footprint. And so it's important to work with hospital leadership to do this. And I think it's important to work in multidisciplinary teams and to really share your best practices because we all need to learn from each other as we tackle this complex, multifaceted issue. I think lastly, personal actions are important because medical professionals are valued members of the community and modeling a lifestyle that minimizes our own carbon footprint and treading a little lighter on this earth can really set a model for others to follow just as healthcare systems should model reducing their carbon footprint. Thank you, Dr. Salas. 